Well, good morning. I hope that you are doing well. Man, it seems like, man, God's spirit is just in the room this morning. Y'all are singing and sounding so awesome, or maybe it's just coffee. I'm not really sure, but it is so good to see you. I love that last song that we sang, and um, just that line that even though we, we might not see it, that God is working. And I don't know about you, but um, if you, you call this place home, you know that it's so true that God is working in this place, man. He is doing amazing, amazing things. Uh, um, we have five baptisms next service, and so we have two. Yeah, absolutely. We have five baptisms, and uh, I missed Catherine's welcome. Um, and so I know we're one church. We have seven baptisms across all of our campuses, but five right here. And so that's bragging rights for Upstate Church Five Forks, okay? And so... Um, uh, that is awesome. That is shows God is, uh, we know he's in the business of changing lives. But how awesome it is, that's why we exist as a church. Not to just have some service that is really inspirational, but to see lives changed all because of Jesus. And so five people are stepping in or have been in a relationship with Jesus and taking that next step of obedience. And if you're here this morning, you haven't taken that step, man, would love to talk to you about that. Um, on, in addition to that, so last Sunday was our largest attended service since Easter of this year. And so God is doing amazing things. I know it's kind of hard because you're only here for one service. Um, but I'm telling you, second service, we added that right before COVID hit. And then, of course, let's not talk about that, okay? Um, I think COVID's like a four-letter word, it seems like, nowadays. But you think about it, that we are growing and increasing in number. And, and so, obviously, have a packed room this morning. I expect the same thing for a second service. And not that it's about attendance, but... Man, praise God that for those of you who are reaching us, uh, are reaching, um, or we're reaching our community, you're here for the first time, checking us out. Man, I hope it's a good time, you know, uh, but most importantly, I hope you hear Jesus, and I hope that you know that this is a community that cares for you and your walk with God. None of us are perfect, and we're just walking through God, trying to follow him to the best of our ability. That's why we exist, and hope that you can find a home here. But we started this series last week called Why Christmas, because it's fitting and uh, just as a shameless plug, once again, uh, for Christmas Eve, make sure you register for that. Um, but in addition, we have all kind of invite cards, stacks of invite cards. And so uh, they don't do any good sitting on a table here. So grab one, grab two. I really challenge you, invite some friends, uh, neighbors, whoever, to come and attend. It's the easiest invite. It's going to be a great, great time. We have three services, 3, 4.30, and 6.00. And then if you are attending, make sure that you um, just kind of RSVP to the link. There's a QR code. It's on our website and everything. Uh, not that it's like some, a, you know, ticketed event like, you know, the Bon Secours, whatever, you know, well or whatever you want to call it. Um, but we just need to know so we can make room for everybody. So make sure you do that. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke this morning. And if you really think about this, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, and you might think this is blasphemous of me as a pastor to think this way, but the Christmas story is kind of strange, isn't it? It's kind of a strange story that you have these teenagers, as we know them, as Mary and Joseph, and they're engaged to one another from this podunk town of Nazareth that, you know, no one really likes, or it's kind of this small town. And all of a sudden, um, this angel comes, we're going to read this this morning, this angel comes to Mary, who's a virgin, and says, hey, you're going to give birth to the Savior of all humanity, all right? Kind of a crazy story, 
And she's like, are you kidding me? Uh, how is that going to happen? And Jesus is born, and we celebrate Christmas. And it just, it kind of seems strange. But in the middle of this story is, you have all these different characters, but Mary is an integral part of the Christmas story. There's no way around it. And so as we started this series last week, Why Christmas, and kind of looked at why did Jesus even have to come in the first place and to really look at, well, we have a sin problem in our world. You and I have a sin problem. And the only way to fix that problem is by the only solution, Jesus. So God sent his son to us. So we see that. Well, uh, today we're going to look at why Mary. Next week, why Joseph, and then we'll dig in really, really deep on Christmas Eve and why Jesus. But if you think about the character of Mary, a lot of different religions around the world have different views on Mary. And most, most world religions, because they deny the divinity of who Jesus is as God's son, they ultimately deny Mary being any kind of really spectacular person. Um, but then you have um, world religions like Islam. So Islam, they, they deny that Jesus was God's son, but they do say he was a prophet. So if you study world religions, you may know this, or if you have a, uh, a Muslim friend, they do think Jesus was a prophet. He was a good teacher. Uh, they put him up there with other prophets that they would say like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Muhammad for them. And so they look to Mary, and there's even mention of Mary several times throughout the Quran. And they look at Mary as kind of this model um, for all women around the world to look at. And so here, here's um, some text from the Quran. You're like, what in the world are we doing at church today? Okay. And, but, it, but just I'm putting this in perspective. We're going somewhere. It says, um, behold, the angel said, O Mary, Allah hath chosen thee and purified thee and chosen thee above the women of all nations. So even though they de- deny the divinity of Jesus and him being the son of God, there is kind of a respectable place in some way of, hey, Mary is at least a model example of women for all over the world because she birthed this prophet, okay? So then let's turn to Catholicism. So some of you, I know, I want to be sensitive to this. Maybe you grew up Catholic um, and uh, you, know that you, you know this. So feel free. Let's have a conversation afterwards um, in this. But out of all um, faiths, uh, Catholicism really elevates Mary. And some of you know this. Some of you might feel good about it. Some of you might not feel so good about it. But a couple distinctions of Mary um, within the Catholic faith is that one, okay, here's a couple things. They believe in what's called assumption. So meaning, okay, when Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, his body and his spirit or his soul ascended into heaven. And Mary is the only other uh, human being who when she died, her body and her spirit ascended into heaven. So in the Catholic faith, faith, they believe that her body and spirit, that's called assumption. They also believe something. Now, you're going to see different pools of this. And so I don't want to just throw like a generic blanket on all Catholics in this. And I'm probably going to mix up the words here because it's a pretty tricky word. But they also believe in what's called the uh, mediatrix and the co-redemptive tricks. Okay, or redemptrix. Have you heard of this? Okay. So what this means is that because Mary used her authority on earth to say yes 
to the angel sent from God, that it was kind of in her court in some ways to be like, okay, I'll carry this baby. And because of that, she plays a really important role of saying yes, uh, giving birth to Jesus, raising and teaching Jesus until he was old enough that she is kind of a, uh, a co-redeemer, if you will. That she is uh, as, not as, a, as important as Jesus, but she's a part of the redemptive story in that. And so that's co-redemptrix. Part of that is uh, mediatrix, which is she acts as a mediator in heaven. She is known as the queen of heaven in the Catholic faith, that she can mediate on behalf of the church. That's why Catholics pray to Mary, that she can mediate and kind of go to Jesus on our behalf, if that makes sense. So you have those distinctions. But when it comes to the Christmas story specifically, you have to understand that the Catholic's view of Mary is really uh, centered around this idea of immaculate conception. Okay, We know the virgin birth. Right, So they believe that, but immaculate conception, meaning in a nutshell that before Mary was even born, when she was conceived in her mother's womb, that she was born without sin. Does that make sense? So Mary was sinless in the Catholic faith. That's why God favored her to carry child Jesus and chose her so that she was sinless. Now, I would say what we believe as a church, um, Southern Baptists in our faith, is that um, those things, while I don't want to be disrespectful, uh, those things are not backed up by Scripture in the Bible. Uh, We see things like everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing about Mary being sinless. Um, so there's some different things in that. So I say all that to paint this picture that as we look at the story of Mary, what makes her important in the Christmas story is not her divinity because there, there is no divinity. What it is, is her humanity and her heart and her posture as a servant of the Lord to say, Hey, whatever you have planned, God, I'm here. And it's something that you and I can draw from that in this Christmas story, amongst the chaos and all the Christmas gifts and the family that we don't want to have over, but we have to invite them anyway, you know, all that stuff, let us remember and look to Mary as one that we can see that we've been praying for as a church for over a month now, God use me. And however you want me to step in, in this, this faith journey with you, I just want to be a yes person to you, God, and I want to step in obedience with that. And that is where Mary's heart is. And so in Luke, we see this. I love the gospel of Luke because most people don't know this. Luke was not a disciple. He wasn't even an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. He was a doctor. He was a physician. And we see, actually, he is the only non-Jew. He was a Gentile He's the only Gentile in all of Scripture to write a gospel in the New Testament. So he's kind of on the outskirts. He's not a Jewish of tradition. He wasn't a disciple. But being a doctor, he hears of this Jesus guy and begins to, and we see in chapter 1, he actually says this, carefully investigate 
the story or the life of Jesus. So he's going to eyewitnesses. And, you know, I don't know if you know any, any doctors. They're very detailed or thorough. If you know a doctor who's not, don't go see that doctor, okay? Those are the doctors that cut off your right leg instead of your left or whatever, you know? And, uh, but he's very detail-oriented, and we see that in his gospel. He's very methodical and detailed, including all these things. And so we're going to read this story of Mary. I know you have heard this um, at least on a Christmas service, um, and, and maybe sometime you've read it. It might even be in a greeting card. <laughs> but um, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now that detail is important, and we'll talk about that next week, so don't miss that. But And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of the father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Pretty legitimate question, okay? Just saying, it's pretty legitimate. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let me read that again. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, pretty awesome, strange, weird, overwhelming story here. You got to think, I mean, we see it that Mary, this angel shows up and she is terrified. Now, when you study the Bible, you see when the angels show up, they usually come with bad news. It's usually a message of judgment or death. And so this angel shows up and you got to remember in biblical times, like, our pop culture and our, our world and media, they kind of paint these angels as like somewhat chubby, toga-wearing, you know, toy with, you know, bow and arrow type angels. Like these things are magnificent creatures. Like they're not like little Cupid over here. Like, oh, he's so cute. Okay. And so the angel shows up and she doesn't know what is happening. One, I don't care who you are. If anybody shows up like this, I'm terrified. I'm, you know, I'm like, what in the world is going on? And the angel has to calm her nerves because it says she doesn't know what kind of message he's bringing. Like, is, is he about to say, hey, sleep well tonight because tomorrow you die? <laughs> you know, she, she doesn't know. And that's why he calms her and says, hey, listen, do not be afraid. You have found favor in the Lord. 
Now think about this. Mary knows this. She knows her Jewish history. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, you have these pinnacle movements where God shows up and it's fearful for people that are about to be used by God. And God says, do not be afraid. I'm with you. Think about this. Moses in a burning bush. He's like, what in the world? This bush is burning. He's like, Moses, you're about to do this. Don't fear. I'm with you. Think about that. Or Joshua, as they're about to go into the promised land, it's a hostile environment. They're going to have to overtake the, 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 the oppressor, oppressors in this. And he says, Joshua, do not be afraid. I'm with you. Gideon, man, God came to him and said, hey, I'm going to be with you to go and to overthrow the Midianites. And so you have all these moments, and the, the angel shows up and says, hey, I'm, I'm coming from the Lord. God is with you. Do not be afraid in those things. So it kind of sets her at ease somewhat. But he says, hey, by the way, I'm coming. I got some good news. You're going to bear a child, and his name is going to be Jesus. He's going to be holy. He's going to save people's lives. And he's going to be the great redeemer, you know, essentially in a nutshell, and she's got to be thinking, I don't know if this is good news. <laughs> I just don't know. I mean, think about this. She's probably 14 or 15 years old thinking, okay, how am I going to tell J Joseph about this? We're engaged. We're planning on getting married. I'm a virgin. I just don't know. And we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. She's got to be understanding all these things that's rattling through her head of like, okay, what happens here? But then you see Mary's response in verse 36 or 38. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, this is actually known kind of theological term in Latin as Mary's fiat. Now, that doesn't mean she drove a small Italian car that got good gas mileage. Okay, but it's a Latin term that really means let it be. Just let it be. And so whatever you say, God, I'm just going to obey your word. Let it be. As, as Whatever he says, I'm here. I'm a servant. Let it be. When is the last time God was just nudging on your heart and telling you to step out in faith? And instead of fighting, you just said, whatever you say, God, just let it be. Here's my yes. And so we know all those things. Let's, there's just two points this morning if you're taking notes. And I really want to pull out of this story. The first one that we see when it comes to Mary is that one, surrender is the heart of servanthood. Surrender is the heart of servanthood. We see this really in all of Scripture, in the meta narrative of this redemptive history of Jesus, Old Testament and New. We see that God is all about the business of taking nobodies and, and, and allowing them to be used by God to do amazing, amazing things. Like I said, Moses was kind of this adopted, outcast, slave boy, you know, kind of in the mix of I was raised in royalty, but that's not my ethnicity type thing. You see Abraham, he was a nomad. God told, told him to go, and he just kind of went. Um, you see all these people, Noah, you know, like build an ark. That's kind of crazy right? Like it hasn't rained in a long time. You're just going to build this ark um, in this. And so you start to see this. You see the disciples in the New Testament were fishermen and tax collectors. They were nobodies. And what I love about this story is it paints this incredible picture of surrender and servanthood because the gospel and really the Bible in a nutshell 
is God coming down and making himself low and taking the low and building them up. And not to raise you and I or the low on this great pedestal for everybody to see, but really to use us to bring us up for everybody to see God through us. And so he raises us and brings low. And here it is, God's coming to Mary, a nobody in this, this remote village that people said, what good could come out of Nazareth? And she is about to bear um, uh, the, the, the child of Jesus who will alter all of history. And so we see this in this because she was a nobody, but she just said yes. She just surrendered. She said, I'm a servant of the Lord. Yes, I'll do whatever you want, God. Whatever you have planned, I'll set aside my plans and I will just say yes. Now think about this statement. It'll be on the screen. Surrender isn't always radical faith, but instead simple obedience with radical outcomes. Think about that for a second. I just want you to think about that. I think for us, and I'm guilty of this, when it comes to surrender, it seems like we should leave church now, sell our car, sell all of our belongings, remove, uh, our, uh, you know, remove everything from a house, sell it on Facebook Marketplace, you know, move to some remote village in a place that we don't speak the language, you don't know what's going on, you're going to have to learn how to eat food and all this other stuff, and that's surrender. Now, God might be calling some of us to that kind of faith. I'm not downplaying that. Well, just a few weeks ago, we had missionaries at our, uh, our, our members from our Harrison Bridge campus say, hey, we're open to that. But for every believer, we are called to simple obedience. Step by step, just walking with God. So surrender isn't this, always this radical faith. It is this simple faith that we are doing every single day. And through that, you and I get to experience radical outcomes. Mary was simple. She didn't, you see when the angel came, she didn't say, oh man, like what, what's going to happen next? How is this going to be? Could you give me the words, um, God, of how I'm going to, you know, throw this news out on Joseph? What am I going to tell my parents? What, what about the community? They're going to look down at me. I'm going to have a scarlet letter in this. I need you to give me all these details. I need to know when and how and what and all this. And then, okay, that makes sense, God. Okay, I can go with that. All right, okay, I understand that. Okay, I got all the details. Okay, now I'll say yes. It wasn't like that. He came to her with some shocking news. She didn't understand it. The angel said, he's going to be with you. And she said, okay. Just simple obedience. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't you had to go to this 12-step Bible study before you stepped into faith. It was, bam, trust the Lord. She just stepped into it. And because of that, think about this, because of her obedience, she was able to provide the Savior of the world through God. Now, I can't help but wonder if the Bible doesn't say, and it doesn't, about her being sinless, you know, and being perfect in that, God had to know just her heart in this. He had to have known that her surrender was there, and it, and it really was this instrumental piece of just being a servant. And really, if you think about that, okay, take the Christmas story out of that. When it comes to following Jesus, our lives as believers should be marked by surrender every day. It should be, it's not about me, it's about you. 
every day. And when we make it about us, that's when it's, it gets complicated. That's when it's distorted and messy because we make it all about ourselves. It doesn't go according to our plan. And Mary just stepped in and stepped out in faith and said, hey, whatever you say, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 21, verse 11. He says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. You should serve. The disciples were arguing, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus says, let me tell you, the greatest is going to be the one who shall be your servant. Luke 22, once again, the disciples start to argue, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus says, for who is the greater? The one who reclines at the table, essentially like the king who has it all, has it easy, or the one who serves? And Jesus says, is it not the one who reclines at the table? I mean, think about that. They had to really have to think about that. And Jesus said, but I'm among you as the one who serves. We see in Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, hey, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the son of God, surrendered his plans to his heavenly father, knowing that being a, a servant and surrendering those plans would ultimately lead to salvation for you and for me. It's the beauty of Christmas, of the Christmas story in this. And if you really want to get practical, Mary, not only does she just surrender, really, childbirth um, and how she's going to tell Joseph in this, her reputation, she surrendered that. Now think about this. She surrendered naming Jesus. The, the angel came and said, you're going to name him Jesus. You don't get to pick. Now not about you, like we adopted our kids and they already came with names, you know. But like for those of you who have biological kids, man, y'all probably bought five books and said, hey, let's do this. And you think of words that rhyme with your kids' names because you don't want to get them made fun of in school. And then you're like, uh, well, let's call them this. And then you give them a first name, but you call them by their middle name. And I, I never understood that. My wife Sloan is like that. Her first name's Mary, middle name's Sloan. I'm like, why don't your parents just name you Sloan? I don't get that. But, uh, but anyway, it's one of those things. That, I mean, it's important to us. But think about then. That was a big deal. Your name symbolized something. It meant something. And God just said, hey, you don't get that choice. His name's going to be Jesus. And she surrendered that. And so we, we see this. We see that this surrender is the heart of servanthood. Second point, we see that lowliness shows the need for God's favor. Man, Mary was hum humble. She could have been like, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what's about to happen to me? This is who I am. You can't do that to me, God. These are my plans. She didn't say that. Man, she was humble. And her lowliness of just humbling herself really showed her dependency on God. Now, I don't know the magic one, two, three, or if there even is a checklist as to why Mary found favor with God. And maybe we can get into all that, but it's not really spelled out in Scripture, so it would be a lot of assumptions and taking things out of context. But once again, I can't help but think, man, she was just a humble servant, and God knew this. And it was her lowliness, and once again, we see all through Scripture taking the low and elevating them to a place as recognizable for the glory of God. And we see this all throughout, that just her dependency on him to say, hey, I'm just a servant. 
She could have said, I'm a nobody. She could have said, hey, I don't really know. I'm about to do this, and I'm kind of a big deal. She didn't say that. She defined herself as a servant. I'm a one who serves, which wasn't a glorious title of the day. And so she essentially says, I'm a slave. I'm a nobody. I'm poor. But I want to do whatever you're calling me to do, God. We see in Luke, Jesus says this. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, you shall laugh. Now, when Jesus says this, you can, you can argue about this, but you can see scholars aren't saying, hey, you know what? You just need to be really, really poor, and that's when God will bless you. He's not saying you need to cry all the time and be super emotional, then you'll be happy. He's not, he's not saying, hey, just don't feed yourself, okay? Don't, just, don't feed yourself because if you, you know, you're not really that hungry, and you'll be satisfied if you are starving to death. He's talking spiritually. Your spirit needs to be made poor. Then you'll be blessed to say, I'm a nobody. Man, I'm nobody without God. You need a thirst and be hungry for God. Then you will be satisfied because he'll quench that hunger. You need, to, you need to weep and mourn for sin and brokenness. That way he can make you full of joy and hope. And it all starts by us stepping into this role of service. Now, this is my last thing. I love this. When the angel comes, he could have said, hey, you, woman, this is what's going to happen. But the angel knew her name, and he said, hey, Mary, hey, Mary, this is what's going to happen. God knows your name. He knows my name. And we have to ask the question. It'll it'll be on the screen because I really want you to wrestle with this. Are you a servant or are you selfish? I'll punch you in your face. I had to ask that self, that myself that this week. Am I a servant or am I selfish? Now you could say, okay, to other people, all right, that's important. But I want to go even higher and even more important. When it comes to your relationship with God, is it all about you? Is it about God? Are you with like Mary and said, hey, whatever you have planned, God, or are you fighting it? You know you need to surrender. You know you need to serve God, and you're just fighting it, whether it's fear, whether it's being burned by the church, whether it is, I just don't know if I'm ready for that yet. You know, God says good. If you think you're a nobody, you don't have what it takes, you have a checkered past, you have sin in your life, God says, come to me, just as you are. He wants the servant, not the selfish, because he will break you of your selfishness at some point. He will break you of that. And God says, come to me, just surrender have this heart. And if that's you this morning, you want me to pray with you or you want to talk, I'll be down the front as the band closes us in this last song of worship. And I want you to really think this week as you're going through life, not just how you treat your friends and your family and your co-workers, but how you treat the Lord. Are you being a servant or are you being selfish? Let's pray together. Father, we can all be selfish. We can all want to wrap our lives around our plan. And God, um, I can see many of us putting ourselves in Mary's shoes and saying, not right now, God. This is not a good time. This is not going to work out with my plans. I just don't really know what people are going to say, what my fiance is going to do, how he's going to react. Not right now, God. 
Maybe later, maybe one day I'll get there, but I've got some stuff I need to work on first. God, let that not be our hearts. Let us be of a posture that says, let it be, God. Whatever you say, whatever your word is, let it be. Let our put our yes on the table. And for the, the person that's here this morning, that's just been wrestling with God, they're running. They know they've been selfish. They don't need anybody to tell them that. They haven't put you as a priority. There really is no relationship there. They might believe in you, but it's not really a relationship, God. Father, I pray they come to you this morning like never before on their knees. Maybe it's in the altar right here during the song. Maybe it's in the, just talking to me and, and praying. But they, they would step into an authentic relationship with you. One of obedience. So, Father, we trust you in that. Let this Christmas be one that that is our hearts. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's close just celebrating a God who is faithful that we can step into obedience with him together.